Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. As surely as I live, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, declares the Lord. Hey, I'm Pastor Billy, and uh, I serve here as the pastor of discipleship and have the privilege of uh, opening up a new series uh, this week. And so I'm excited uh, to jump into God's word. And this four-week series is gonna be looking at the minor prophets, four of the, of the minor prophets that we find in the Old Testament. And the purpose of this series is to gain a deeper, a new appreciation uh, for these minor prophets, but also to see that God has important things to say to us, even in 2023, through these men, which will affirm the relevance of every part of God's word for our lives because we want to have a greater understanding of these four minor prophets and not only have greater understanding but also to allow God to teach us through them. And so these four weeks, we're gonna see that the minor prophets teach us about justice and about joy and about sovereignty and about hope. We're gonna see they're full of redemptive themes that should convict, equip, challenge us, and encourage us. Ultimately, what we will find as we look at these books is that they offer signposts that point forward to Jesus himself. And so for week one, today, we're gonna take a look at the prophet Jonah, the prophet Jonah. And it's interesting because most prophets uh, are a collection of the uh, prophecies, those, those things that they have proclaimed, and, and it's a collection of their words. And, but this story is not about the prophet's words necessarily, it's more about the prophet himself. And if you want a, a nice little um, title to put there, if you're taking notes, uh, I'm calling this sermon Running, Refusing, and Repenting. Running, Refusing, and Repenting. Jonah's story is, is familiar to most people. Even if they're outside of, of, of the Jewish or Christian background, they've probably heard of the story of Jonah and the whale. And you remember it, right? God charges the prophet uh, Jonah (laughs) from the very first um, sentence of the book uh, to go to Nineveh. It's the capital of Israel's hated enemy, the Assyrians, the despised Assyrians. And he says, go to the capital in Nineveh to prophesy of its imminent destruction. And yet Jonah, uh, he decides he's got another plan. And so he flees to Joppa to the port, and he finds a ship bound for Tarshish, the farthest destination that he can go in the opposite direction, Uh, so he attempts to get as far away from God and Assyria as possible. You know the story, right? But we've romanticized the idea of Jonah uh, because of the children's stories about Jonah and the well, which is a fun account, 
right? If you've grown up in church, you, you remember that story from your Sunday school class. But we've often romanticized the story because Jonah's real story is what happens when God's will crashes against our own will. Jonah pushes back against God at every turn. And he doesn't really change in the end. You see, Jonah's last words in the book are, I wish I were dead. Maybe not the story you remember, right? Jonah's a story upside down. The prophet of God runs from God. Evil kings fall on their knees and repent. Swarthy sailors are wise and merciful. Animals are made to even take a posture of repentance. A man survives three days in the belly of a great fish, and then that fish spits him up miraculously in exactly the right place. An upside-down story indeed. And maybe you grew up with VeggieTales, and our friends from VeggieTales summed it up this way, you know, the, the singing vegetables. They said Jonah was a prophet, but he really never got it. He did not get the point. Jonah was a prophet, but he really never got it. Warren Wearsby said this, and it's on the screen, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So let's dive into this whale of a tail. You see what I did there? That's dad jokes for you. All right, here we are. We're gonna jump around a little bit, summarize a little bit to get what God, I believe, uh, wants us to see, to, to reflect on, to respond to today. Jonah 1 and verse 1, uh, and there's a vent set up in the YouVersion app. If, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go there and find events. We've got these notes here. Um, but the, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We all know this part of the story, right? Uh, if, if not, stay with me. Why did he run? A few reasons. He had deep-rooted bitterness and disgust towards the Ninevites. He hated these people. And it could have been justifiably so. Why did he run? Uh, he had patriotic pride for his home country of Israel. Why did he run? He thought he could somehow remove himself from God's specific call by going somewhere else. Perhaps he could just disappear to Tarshish and have a religious career there without actually having to deal with God. And it's easy, it's easy this morning as we dive into the story of Jonah to shake our head at Jonah and say, how foolish, Jonah, how foolish that you thought you could run away. But if we take a closer look, I think you'll find Jonah's situation could be and has been indicative of your story and of mine. Of your story and mine. No, you've never boarded a ship. You, you've never boarded a ship to flee from God's will. At least the majority of us haven't. Maybe some of you have. And no, you've, you've never been swallowed by a large animal literally to experience God's saving grace. And if someone has, please come find me after the service. But look closer at the story. Perhaps it's more subtle in your life and you're fleeing from God's will behind the distracted scrolling of your smartphone. You're fleeing from God's will and his voice by indulging in unhealthy eating habits. 
Perhaps it's more subtle and you're fleeing from God's will and his desires for your life through the means of just another relationship. Perhaps it's more subtle when you're fleeing from God's will within the background noise created by your television. Perhaps it's in the busyness of all of your have-tos. And all the while, you're forestalling God's purpose, as Jonah did, and God's will in your life and often in the lives of others. Sometimes we think it's all about us, but God has plans beyond us And so you find yourself refusing to surrender to what he wants and what his word says, refusing perhaps some of you to obey his command to live into his will and not desperately trying to live out your own as we'll see Jonah continue to do. And today, this morning, you may find yourself with no real peace and no real power present in your life today to live the life that God is calling you to live even when it's hard. And so Jonah boards the ship Jonah boards the ship, and the ship takes off towards Tarshish. And then, you, you know, a huge storm rages, a huge storm rises up, it's, it's tossing the boat to and fro, and, and the ship's sailors, they begin tossing the stuff. They're, they're chucking everything they can off the boat. They're trying to save their lives. Jonah's asleep. They wake him up. They say, dude, what are you doing? We're gonna die. Pray to your God that somehow we might be spared. And Jonah says, listen, this guys, this is my fault. And eventually the ship's crew is gonna chuck Jonah into the sea after the prophet admits that the storm is actually chasing after him, that he worships uh, Yahweh, the one true God, and the only way to stop the storm is to throw him into the sea. So they finally follow through. They don't want to, but they decide to do what he says, and they throw him in. The storm stops. They, they They worship the one true God and offer vows to him after they see what happens. And then God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah, right? And after three days and nights, we read in chapter two, after three days and nights, Jonah cries out. It's almost this cry of desperation from Jonah and he prays from inside the belly of the great fish and it says that the fish spews him onto the dry land, onto the beach, somewhere, it's kind of insignificant where it is. But from wherever he is spit up, he then travels to Nineveh to proclaim God's message to Jonah the Assyrians, it seems like Jonah may have learned his lesson. And we pick up in Jonah 3, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God's being gracious towards Jonah, isn't he? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. But Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. They believed God. And a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Their actions are are, are reflecting the posture of their heart. Their actions are showing remorse for the destruction that's coming, remorse for the way that they've lived and, and for the judgment that has been declared over them. You know what's fascinating to me? It says, it says that Jonah went a day's journey one day into the city and proclaimed this message, and the Ninevites, after one day, believed God. How much trouble and trial might be uh, avoided in our life if we would simply believe God immediately. Repentance 
we'll see here, repentance begins with believing God. And you see, maybe you're just gonna be reminded today and maybe you're gonna hear this for the first time, but we only sense the need to repent in our lives when we recognize how horrible our sin is and how holy God is. That's the only thing that brings about the sense that we need to repent. We need to change our minds and go in the other direction. And then we'll see, as we believe him and we believe his word and we respond accordingly, we receive the power to transform our lives as he wills. For you see, you can do many other things associated with repentance. You can go through all of the motions, all of the actions, but if they do not begin with believing on and trusting God, they are useless works of the flesh. And you say, what are you talking about? This is what Jesus was talking about when he rebuked the Pharisees of his day. Remember the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, "Uh, okay, Jesus, give us a sign. Give us a sign to show us that you are who you say you are. And Jesus says, this wicked and adulterous generation, you will receive no sign but what? But the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus points back to Jonah to validate who he is. And and he says, listen, the men of Nineveh will rise up in, in the last days and condemn this generation. Why? Because of their unbelief. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, to the really religious guys of his day, he says, man, you're going through all the motions but you don't believe God when he's standing before you in the flesh. And therefore, the men of Nineveh are gonna stand up in judgment before you in the last days because of your unbelief. Repentance begins with believing God. Let's keep reading. Verse six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, it's reached the top guy now, right? He rose from his throne and took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Humility. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Even the animals were made to take a posture of repentance. Let everyone call urgently. One translation says, let everyone cry mightily on God. This is a wicked king. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They must have heard something about this God. Verse 10, what does God do? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. That word there, relented, means he changed his mind and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. When he saw their response, God relented And he changed his mind. And instead they experienced revival. But can you believe the audacity of God? Can you believe to have compassion on people like that? On such wicked heathens like that? Come on, God. We'll see what Jonah thought about it. The next verse. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. 
and he became angry. The original language says he became exceedingly angry. He prayed to the Lord. So now Jonah's praying again. He's praying again after the people have repented, after they've turned from their wicked ways and God has relented in sending destruction and he's poured out his compassion on these wicked people. It says that he's angry and he prays to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, see, Jonah knows God, but Jonah, Jonah's missing something about God in his own life here. In verse three, now Lord, take away my life. Two chapters earlier, Jonah was praising God for saving his life from death by a great fish. And in two chapters, he's saying, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonathan Swift wrote a verse that expressed Jonah's frame of mind, his posture of heart. For we are God's chosen few, all others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Jonah desperately wanted justice. And you see, God was acting justly. It just wasn't the justice that Jonah wanted. Is it right for you to be angry? You see, church, this is the question that we should and even must ask ourselves if we find ourselves angry with God today. And the answer must always come back to, no, Lord, your ways are right, even if I don't understand them. Yes, listen, yes, Jonah was angry towards God, and yes, it was all right for Jonah to state his anger towards God. It's, it's okay for you to express that in a season of your life. But he and we also must come to this place of repenting for our anger towards our bitterness and our disgust of God's will playing out as opposed to our own. So what happens? The rest of the story says that Jonah leaves the city and he walks up onto the hill and um, it says he builds a booth and he sits in it to see what might happen to the city. Jonah still doesn't get it. He wants to see what might happen. He still, I guess his fingers are crossed that maybe God will still bring judgment on these wicked people. And so Jonah goes up and he builds a booth and it says that the Lord caused the plant to grow up to shade Jonah from the hot sun. And then it says, and Jonah was happy. It's the only time in the story that the prophet's happy because he's getting what Jonah wants. He's comfortable. He's comfortable. And then it says, just as the Lord had provided a plant, the Lord provided a worm and the worm ate the plant. And then it says the Lord provided a wind and the wind uh, uh, brings this hot, dry air. Uh, the sun is beating down and, and Jonah, Jonah is just is beaten by the sun and again he cries out, I wish I were dead. It's better for me to die than live. And we pick up in verse nine of chapter four. But again, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, Jonah. And what's Jonah's response? It is, he said. It is right, God. 
and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And that's the last we hear of Jonah. Oswald Chambers, writer, preacher, um, said this, theologian. He said, beware of any belief that makes you self-indulgent or self-gratifying. That belief came from the pit of hell itself, regardless of how beautiful it may sound. Your theology, what you believe about God, must work itself out, exhibiting itself in your most common, everyday relationships. Oswald Chambers is saying, listen, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter what you know, what you believe has to work itself out in the way that you live. You see, Jonah called the city to repent, or at least that was the response to his proclamation. To Nineveh, right? Yet Jonah wouldn't repent himself. And this time, Jonah justifies his anger. Jonah asserts his right to the shade in the desert, and he asserts his right to grace. I deserve it, Lord, but I deserve it. Are you guilty of that today? God, now I don't know about those people, but I deserve it. Listen, I've certainly been guilty of that in my life railing against the sins of others and ignoring my own need to repent of sinful habits or ingrained sinful attitudes that I far too easily justified in my life. And maybe I'm alone, but I don't think so. Maybe you're holding on today, like Jonah, to attitudes of bitterness or stubborn pride or bias against them, whoever they are, Refusing to extend compassion, although you've received it greatly in your life. Whoever they are, maybe, maybe they're liberals. Maybe they're MAGA supporters. Maybe they're the left. Maybe they're the right. Seems relevant in the season we're moving into in an election year. Maybe they're those rednecks. Maybe they're those rich folk. Maybe they're foreigners. Maybe it's a group of people you hold judgment and bias towards. Maybe it's just someone who hurts you or hurt someone you dearly love. Maybe it's the church. Craig Groeschel, author and pastor, in his book titled The Christian Atheist, he said bitterness, and I add like most sinful attitudes, is frighteningly easy to justify. Since I've been wrong, I have a right to feel this way. If the target of our bitterness suffers, he continues, we celebrate their misfortunes. Now, not outwardly, of course, because we're good Christian people, right? We celebrate their misfortunes. After all, they are getting what they deserve. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever spoken those words before? Man, they're just getting what they deserve. I have a quote here that uh, uh, someone said to me a long time ago, but it's stuck, stuck pretty tight. It says, we often judge others by their worst actions and justify ourselves by our best intentions. Whew. That don't sound like Jonah and maybe a few of us. But listen, 
God tells Jonah, we're gonna see it in the next verse, God tells Jonah, the vine was a gift, Jonah. This plant you're mad about, that was a gift. Just as much as my mercy on the Ninevites is a gift. Neither the sheltering vine, which is a means of grace to Jonah in the desert, nor the forgiveness of God can be earned. It can only be received, church. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or you did not make it grow. You did not earn it and you did not deserve it, Jonah, and I gave it to you. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And Jonah was upset because the worm had destroyed a vine that had shaded him, that had comforted him from the scorching sun. Yet Jonah didn't care that many men and women and children in Nineveh might be destroyed. Verse 11, it's the final words of the book, the final words that we hear. And God says this, Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. There's the animals again. You see, I believe this is a precursor, this is a signpost pointing us towards the future to what Jesus would cry out when he hung on the cross for the sin of the whole world. And in Luke 22, we see Jesus spread open, spread wide open, his arms wide open, nailed to a cross, and he looks down on those who would, who would murder and hang him on that cross, those who would mock and revile him, those who would spit on him and pull his beard out. And what did he cry? Pour out your wrath, oh God. Father, let them feel it. No. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you see, we normally have compassion for those for, with whom we can identify most closely with, right? That's easy. You say, well, I do have compassion. But God has compassion also on those who are helpless. Spiritually, it's those who do not know God, those who are lost, who are far from God's will. And Jonah is, in the end, a love story. It's just not the love story we're expecting. To Jonah, God's love seemed reckless. Enemies receiving compassion and mercy, they did not earn it and they did not deserve it. And you see, church family, if God has compassion even for animals, how much more should we feel compassion for human beings made in God's image who are under his judgment because of their sins? Yes, this includes your enemies and the people that anger you the most. What does Jesus say about compassion and our enemies? Luke 6, beginning in verse 21, these are the words of Jesus. He said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. What? Bless those who curse you. Are you kidding me? Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus went too far. And he drops to verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You know the golden rule. A few verses later in verse 35. But love your enemies. He restates himself. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. This is our God. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. 
Let me say this to be clear, church. We're to never tolerate evil and seek to justify or make excuses for the evil or sin in our lives or the lives of others. Jesus would never condone that. But this is a command because it's a beautiful picture of what Christ did for you and for me. You don't believe me? Look in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's, what? While if we were what? God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Not when you were cleaned up, not when you were going to church, not when your life was all together. When you were God's enemies, you were reconciled to him through Christ Jesus. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. We need to be reminded by the story of Jonah that God has compassion on his enemies because that's exactly what we were. You see, God delights to do the impossible and never more so than in turning men and women to himself. And listen, loving our enemies is only possible if our heart's been changed. If we've repented of those attitudes, those behaviors, those thoughts that are contrary to those actions. And so God delights to do this impossible work. And so instead of denying this story on the grounds of its human impossibility, and especially the repentance that sweeps over this wicked city of Nineveh, let us see it as evidence of God's divine power. You see, Jonah 3.10, where it says the Lord sees the response and he relents from his destruction, that is the greatest miracle in the story of Jonah. It's not the story about the giant fish. You thought Jonah was about a fish. And you see, God delights to do this saving work, but we must respond. You will never have true peace and purpose and be pleasing to the Lord if you're fighting for what you want, if you're running from his will, and if you refuse to repent. No, the Lord never deserted Jonah. In the book, he never deserts Jonah. Even in Jonah's hard-headed stubbornness, God doesn't desert Jonah. He pursues him compassionately, although he's clearly displeased. Listen, in our lives, uh, disobedience brings discipline. You invite God's rebuke when you ignore repentance. So stop running today. Stop ignoring that attitude and those actions that displease God. Listen, don't contend with the king of the universe, but yield yourself to him wholly today. Because repentance brings redemption and renewal and regeneration and revival. And isn't that what we want, church? Don't give room for sinful attitudes of bitterness and apathy and unforgiveness and stubborn pride and prejudice and hatred and thinking, man, I just really want what I want more than what God wants. Maybe he can give me both. Don't give room for sinful attitudes in your life and therefore play with God's discipline. Stop running from God and what God is speaking to your heart about today or who he's speaking to your heart about. God's word would say, change your mind and repent. This is your invitation, it's your exhortation. Let his compassionate and loving mercy change your heart first today, church. As the worship team comes. Jonah's theology, Jonah's theology made him no more compassionate than anyone else. It should have. 
knowledge of a sovereign, compassionate God whom he feared should have made Jonah more submissive to God's will, more compassionate towards other people, and more respectful of God, but it hadn't changed Jonah. Has it changed you today? I'm talking really. At the depths of who you are, has it changed you? Have you truly understood the magnitude of the gospel of God's grace in your own life that might lead you to true repentance today? You see, you and I, we were enemies of God outside of Christ's redeeming work on the cross being applied to us through Christ Jesus. And are you so far removed from the experience of God's saving work in your life that somehow you've forgotten what you are apart from him. Like Jonah who was saved from the depths of the sea and then he refused to welcome that same saving compassion in the lives of those who he deemed unworthy, too wicked, too far gone. And maybe some of us today, we've equated our salvation with some sort of set of behaviors that we've tried to live by and we've went through the motions and in reality, if you were honest today, you've never actually experienced the life-changing, saving grace of Jesus in your life. Just because we go through the motions of following God's way doesn't mean our hearts are aligned with his. You see, God wanted Jonah's actions and his heart and he wants ours as well today. Writer David McCaslin said, the story of Jonah should cause each of us to be honest about our feelings towards the Lord. Do we harbor resentment for his leniency towards people we feel deserve judgment? Have we forgotten that God has forgiven us? Are we ready to obey his call and leave the outcome to him? You see, church, it's not only the unbelievers in the Ninevehs of today, right? They're all around us, we live in it, it's there. It's not just the unbelievers in the Ninevehs of today that need to repent, it's also we who are modern day Jonah's. For you see, no one begins to understand this profound and this searching little book unless they discover the Jonah in themselves and then through repentance lay hold upon the boundless grace of God. My son's in kinder music and uh, they sing this in his class this week and maybe you know it. Heart, heart, giving my heart, heart, heart. Given my heart, heart, heart. Given my heart, given my heart to Jesus. And the next verse says, lost in sin, now what'll I do? Lost in sin, now what'll I do? Lost in sin, now what'll I do? Giving my heart to Jesus, and the final verse, he's gonna make my heart brand new, giving my heart to Jesus. Would you stand with me today? Maybe you find yourself like the Ninevites. Maybe today you're hearing the truth of God's word and his judgment against sin, and you recognize your need to turn from your sin in your life and believe on Christ. Remember, repentance starts with believing and believe on Christ and be saved today. And maybe some of you have been running from what God's calling you to do. You know you've been fighting for your will. You've been resisting God's grace that has relentlessly pursued you, yet you've been refusing to give your life completely over to him.
And maybe some of you today are good church people and you love God, but you're harboring anger and bitterness and prejudice and hatred or unforgiveness or self-righteousness in your heart towards God or someone or some group of people who are made in the image of God, but to you they're just less than and undeserving of his grace, even if they would seem to change or show up at church. And if you're gut level honest, you have a heart like Jonah and you really don't love your enemies. It's okay to confess that today. But here's the good news, okay? Because of God's compassionate love, today is the day of second chances. Today is the day of new beginnings. Today is the day of fresh starts. Today is the day of new life. Remember, God responds to repentance. So how will you respond today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from Jonah, a story that perhaps we got wrong all along. And we pray that you would search our hearts in these moments, that we would be reminded that you respond to repentance. And today is the day of second chances, of new beginnings, of fresh starts, of new life. And so God, as we pray, as we respond, as we kneel, as we come to the altar, as we worship and praise you for your reckless love that has come searching us, even in our running, even in our refusing, Lord, may it lead us all to repentance today. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.